This is Steve Smith at the California Western School of Law, and I call the Law Review to order. Today we focus on a simple but very important question. Should I go to law school? Many of our listeners are considering going to law school, and this is the chance to think through the question of whether that is a good decision or not. Who better to talk about and ask about the decision to go to law school than the people who are experiencing law school now? So we are turning the program over to our students, and here is Ben Pesner to do the program. Thank you, Dean Smith. When most people think of lawyers, they think of what they see on TV on such shows as Law and Order, Perry Mason, or My Cousin Vinny. Or have you seen Perry Mason? I have not seen Perry Mason. <laughs> okay. But uh, I, I will be heading over to the, the, the closest blockbuster I could find to, to rent a VHS. <laughs> so most people think of lawyers sparring in a courtroom, arguing motions in front of a judge. Um, but there's so many other things you could do with a JD other than being a trial attorney. Dean Smith, could you start us off by shedding some light on what happens in the real world as soon as you graduate from law school? Uh, what sort of things can you do with this magical Juris Doctor degree in your hand? The short answer is a lot of things. Uh, law is one of the few remaining generalist graduate disciplines. Uh, so with a PhD in English, there are a limited number of things you can do. With a PhD uh, in chemistry, there are different kinds of things, but they are somewhat limited. MBAs and, and JD degrees are to some degree generalists in the sense that they're, it prepares you with a series of skills that allow you to do lots of things. Uh, you can certainly practice law in the traditional law firm sense. You can become a public servant. Uh, you can deal with policy analysis. You can, you can manage things. So CEOs of corporations, uh, people who are ensuring the quality of, uh, of health care through compliance programs, uh, all of them benefit from the, the, the disciplines uh, of law because the, the critical skills of law school uh, are analytical thinking, careful reading, and communication of ideas. And those skills apply to a lot of areas. Thank you. Now, today we're also excited to have Professor Bennett here, California Western Professor of uh, Administrative Law and also in the, in the STEPS program. You teach administrative law here at California Western. Uh, I had the pleasure of taking that class last spring. Uh, one of the common things we learned about is, is that how that area of law covers how, how big government interfaces with ordinary citizens who uh, don't really know how the intricacies of, of government and law work. Uh, and, and one of the things we learn in law school and, and how to use a law degree uh, it puts us in a, a special position to, to facilitate that uh, interaction between the government and ordinary citizens. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, it, administrative law is almost like a fourth branch of government. We always think about the executive branch, the legislative branch, the judicial branch. But the administrative law branch, as I will uh, discuss it, really deals with the processes that our administrative agencies that govern us use, utilize, as well as processes that protect the rights of citizens, that protect the rights of employees and employers, and a whole host of other mechanisms that we deal with uh, in, in society. Uh, and so real quick for those people listening, 
who haven't been in law school yet. So when we say administrative agencies, for for example, like maybe if you want to if you want to get a driver's license, you don't you don't walk up to the the White House, the executive branch, and, and apply for a driver's license, take a test on on Pennsylvania Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh, there's an agency for that, and uh, there's an agency for a lot of government functions, the DMV, um, the CIA. Right. Or, the, or the FBI, or the Department of Justice, or if you're an employee and you have a complaint of discrimination, you go to the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC, or the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing. All of these are administrative agencies. And Or if you want a patent, you go to the Department of Patents. They're all governed and regulated under guidelines and concepts that flow from administrative law. And they really dictate the way we live on an everyday level. Most people deal with administrative agencies because anybody who drives has to go through the California Department of Motor Vehicles, an administrative agency, and they have to apply and adhere to the processes that that agency establishes for getting a driver's license. So our administrative agencies are really the agencies that most citizens come into contact with on an everyday basis. Right, and that's how the government interfaces with its citizens. Yes. And, and we in law school uh, learn the tools and how to think and what's required for us to help people uh, deal with the government. Uh, so, that's, so that's one example of what you could do with the JD. What, what are some other non, non-traditional things you could do once you graduate? Well, I, I, I like to think about the JD from the standpoint of many of our politicians. Uh, many of our politicians, including our president, is not practicing law, but he has a juris doctorate and he has the ability to practice law. The people who make laws that deal with our lives and that dictate and, and regulate our lives, most of them are attorneys. Uh, the, the, whether they be politicians in the Senate or in the House or, or wherever they are, many people who uh, decide what's going to happen with our lives are attorneys. Although they are not practicing law, uh, I have worked with many people with juris doctorate degrees who work in various administrative agencies, such as the Department of Justice. They may be researchers, they may be involved in the criminal justice system or processes that apply uh, in that regard. They may be in the areas of marriage and family counseling and use, utilizing their juris doctorate degrees to help and facilitate. Or they may be community. Uh, people who are community liaisons or community advocates that are just trying to improve the lots of people, the conditions of people. Uh, in, in my particular situation, we're talking about going to law school and why it's important. I grew up in South Central Los Angeles. I grew up in a very, very poor area of town, and I saw a lot of things that took place in my community that I didn't, did not think were right. But I, I felt powerless to change them. I felt powerless to address many of those things, and this is why I became an attorney. I became an attorney for the things that money can't buy. Sure, many lawyers make a lot of money. Some lawyers, uh, they're, they're driven by the ability to make money or to improve your lot in life. I was able to do that growing up in, growing up in South Central Los Angeles, going to law school, uh, and becoming an attorney took me far away from that lifestyle, and I have you know, profited from my uh, legal practice, but I've also been able to do things in life that are important. I've been able to protect the rights of others, help facilitate the uh, the, uh, the careful flow of civil rights, uh, as well as help my family. 
going back to when you decided to go to law school, when you were making that decision, I'm sure there are a lot of people listening right now who, who think, well, this all sounds great, but I don't know if I can do it. No one in my family has ever gone to college or graduate school. Why would a law school let me in? What would you tell someone like that? Well, the thing I would tell you is uh, it, it may be true that nobody in your family went. It may be true that you don't have the means to go. I didn't. Nobody in my family was an attorney. Uh, no one in my family besides one person actually graduated from a four-year university. But I was so driven to get out of the ghetto. It, it, it was just a passion of mine. I saw people around me who uh, ran afoul of the law. I saw people who got involved in things that were not appropriate and who died at a young age, and I didn't want that. And I didn't have any inerrant ability any more than anybody else except a driven passion to succeed and to get out. It wasn't about making money. It wasn't about um, you know, driving the biggest car. It was about changing a lot in society and doing something to help to improve the conditions of others. And it was just that drive that showed me that there are avenues where you could go to get financial aid or to get colleges or universities to look at you and you could work hard and you could succeed. And so it was that determination that, that I would say applies across the board to anybody who really wants to become an attorney. It's a great thing being an attorney because you're no longer powerless. You know, you can compete and you can understand what is happening around you. You can understand our governmental processes. You can understand our administrative processes. You can help your family. If it's just on that level, if all you can do is help your family, that may be just enough of a reason to go to law school. So we're back with Dean Smith and Professor Bennett. We've been talking up to this point about all the great things you could do with a JD. But backing up a few steps while you're in law school, what kind of skills does a law school teach someone so that they're able to do those great things with the JD? You learn great skills of analysis. You learn great analytical skills. You learn skills of research. You learn great writing skills. You learn great problem-solving skills. And I believe that one thing that's underemphasized that people really don't understand is or one aspect that people don't focus in and in on relative to law because you learn great counseling skills. You learn good people skills. And uh, you learn how to communicate with people. You learn how to facilitate resolutions. If you go to the right law school, you understand and you learn about problem solving, which is really the essence of why we become attorneys in the first place. And all those skills translate to different areas and aspects of life. You can take a JD degree and become a great counselor, great problem solver, a great analytical thinker, and a great writer all at the same time. Now, Dean Smith, you're writing a, a book about this, about the return on investment. Of I law am school. about the economics of legal education. Right, and, and, and part of that is, I'm guessing, what Professor Bennett just, just explained about how someone could be a counselor or could be uh, a lot of these jobs, and, and, and they go to law school and get a JD. What other, what other, what other benefits are there uh, uh, in addition to the skills of leaving your job or at least knocking that down to part-time, getting a JD, and then coming back? That's a great question because it, it's in the book I'm actually having trouble answering that because a lot of it's non-quantifiable. There are huge psychic 
advantages uh, and disadvantages to being a lawyer. If you're in a, in a job in which you're satisfied and are making a contribution, I think it, it is one of the areas in which there are huge psychic, non-economic rewards. Uh, if you're dissatisfied, of course, there it's a it's a negative. Uh, but those are very. I can't quantify those for the book. The economic advantages uh, are quantifiable, and of course, what's happened in the past is no guarantee of the future. But in the data that we currently have, indicate that uh, lawyers uh, are likely to make more money over time than do people with an undergraduate-only degree. Now, those data are based primarily on people with law degrees who are serving as lawyers in a more traditional sense. We don't have real good data on people who have graduated from law school who are not in traditional uh, lawyer jobs. And they range from people who are not doing well to people who are rather fabulously wealthy because of uh, some business activities. So it's hard. It's it's very difficult to get hard data for people who are not in traditional law jobs. But it, it appears that to me, from anecdotal data more than anything else, a substantial portion of those graduates of law schools who are in business or in other technically non-law uh, jobs are contributing a lot because of the very skills that Professor Bennett was uh, talking about, and that those apply really well in a wide range of activities from not-for-profit organizations, where there are a lot of lawyers running not-for-profit organizations, to corporate uh, organizations, to healthcare organizations. And we could also use those skills to, to help those that are close to us. Professor Bennett, one of the things that we talked about in your class and used as an example was your father is very sick, and you were acting as an advocate on his behalf when he was being unfairly denied some benefits. Uh, could you speak a little about that? Sure. I, I'm glad to do so because it's very interesting. It was actually in an administrative law class that I was advised and interrupted and told that my father would be going into hospice because his life was coming to an end. But the thing that made the aspect of being an attorney so personal to me and so powerful for me was what I was able to do during the three or during his last three years with my law degree. If you understand health care and you hear all about all the controversy behind the president's plan, the Affordable Health Care Act, you understand that health care is big business in the society. If you do not understand health care, you do not understand your rights to proper and affordable health care, you will really, really be denied a significant benefit and your life could be affected. In the case of my father, his life was being affected because of decisions that others were making on his behalf that were inappropriate, inconsistent with the law, with due process, and with his administrative rights. As an attorney, I was able to advocate and fight for him, and I believe that because I knew and because I was armed with the knowledge that I gained as an attorney after graduating from law school, I was able to help preserve his life at least two more years. And as I explained to some students, if the only reason that I went to law school was to be able to see my father for two more years, it was all worth it. When you were in that process, there was a lot of back and forth with the Medicaid and, and some of the benefits that he was being unduly deprived of. Could you talk a little bit about that? Well, it, administratively and uh, through the systems that govern Medicare and the Social Security Administration, et cetera, people and patients have certain rights. 
And if the patients don't understand those rights, they don't know how to advocate for them, and they don't know that they have certain appellate rights to contest a denial of a health care benefit that a family member or a child may have not received. Uh, what my fight was regarding my father was to ensure that he received the benefits that he was entitled to under Medicare. And I think that all of that changes to some extent now that we have the Affordable Health Care Act, but the concept and the principles are the same, that knowledge is power. And if you are not armed with that type of knowledge that you can access and gain as an attorney or through being an attorney, uh, you you can be denied a valuable benefit. And in some cases, your family members or your loved ones may suffer unnecessarily. So, Professor Smythe, we just heard about all the magical, amazing things you could do with a JD. Um, what would we tell someone who's sitting here listening to this podcast who is very impressed with what he or she just heard but is still kind of on the fence because they don't know if, if, they, if it's a good place in their life to take out a loan for $100,000 or, or however much their law school is going to cost. Uh, what would you tell someone like that? I think I would tell someone like that that law school has never been a way to get fabulously wealthy. It's never been a completely safe bet. But law school typically has provided a good return on investment to most law students. And I think it still provides a good return on investment to people who are thinking about law school today. I think there's been an awful lot of misinformation in the media, on the internet, about the high cost of law school, the burden of student debts, the poor job prospects for uh, graduates. I think most of that is wildly exaggerated and overblown. And I actually fear it will discourage many people who have all the right reasons to want to go to law school from actually coming. Uh, and so it's one reason why I'm here today to speak about it. Thank you. Do you have any anything to add? Well, I do. I think Don is exactly right that, that uh, law is a profession, and you should go to it because it's what you want to do. You want to help people through the mechanism of the law. But certainly for the vast majority of people, the economic consideration should not be a reason to fail to go to law school. Um, actually, the Bureau of Labor Statistics data uh, demonstrate that, that lawyers make substantially more money than those with undergraduate only over a period of time. And that the unemployment rate is half for lawyers as it is for those with undergraduate-only degrees. So the economics actually are positive, but the reason to go to law school is not the economic reasons. The reason to go to law school is it's a, it's a wonderful way of looking at the world, of thinking, and of helping people. Now, what about someone who is thinking of going to law school for a non-traditional career, not going to end up in a, in, a, in a big law firm making the big bucks, mm -hmm. uh, but maybe someone who's interested in, in, in a nonprofit or social work or a policy career who will take a little bit longer to, to pay off those loans. Uh, in, in the current economic climate, does it still make sense for them to come to school and, and write the checks? Well, let me speak about the current economic climate first. Uh, obviously, we're rebounding from a severe recession, and we're rebounding rather slowly. And so 
New college graduates have struggled to find suitable jobs. New graduates from almost every kind of professional program you can imagine have struggled to find jobs. Uh, in preparation for our talk today, I did a little internet browsing. There are media stories about new nurses who can't find jobs, new pharmacists who can't find jobs, new veterinarians who can't find jobs. I bet I could even find one about newly minted journalists who can't find uh, jobs. <laughs> uh, and uh, so part of what we've experienced recently is just a consequence of the economic downturn and the slow recovery. Can a person plan to go to law school today and accumulate $100,000 plus in student debt and hope to repay that debt without compromising their lifestyle too much? The answer is yes. Some of the commentary in the media misunderstands recent changes in federal law that are actually helping graduates not only of law schools but graduates of all kinds of educational programs uh, with their loan payments. And the program I'm speaking of is called the Income-Based Repayments Program. It was passed into federal law in 2007. That effectively limits loan payments on federally sponsored loans to no more than 15% of discretionary income. Discretionary income is defined as adjusted gross income minus 150% of a poverty threshold. The effect of the income-based repayments program is to make the actual loan payments of most recent graduates less than 10% of their income. In fact, uh, President Obama recently implemented some new changes to the program that will further reduce the debt burden of student loans. And I should add that under the income-based repayment program and President Obama's pay-as-you-earn modification to that program, total debt repayments are ultimately capped at the end of either 25 years or 20 years, and the remaining amount of principal is actually forgiven. And so this provides a very important public subsidy to all prospective law students, and in particular to those who would benefit from the program because they choose careers in public interest law that generally don't promise such high earnings and therefore allow them to qualify. Uh, and in a sense, a it's a safety net because it is a safety whatever net. The, the principle is you've borrowed, you're not going to go bankrupt. I mean, you should not be paying more than now it's less than 10% yes. of your adjusted gross income, uh, your discretionary income um, to repay loans. So that that is a kind of safety net. I must say, I hate to borrow money. I hate, I, I'm sort of counter culture in this sense. I borrowed money for two things in my life, a house and my education. And for both the same reason. They both are long-term investments uh, that I couldn't pay for up front. And it's, both of them have, have been great for me.
Up until now, we've really been pushing the cause of law school, why it's great to go to law school, come here, get a JD, learn some amazing skills. But there may be some reasons that someone might think about not going to law school. It's not for everyone. Now that we know the benefits of a degree and that it is within our means financially, what about law school itself? What, what is law school like? Uh, what are the positives and negatives of being a law student? We have a fellow student here, Grace Garner, who is going to answer that question. Thanks, Ben. Uh, I think the main thing to take into consideration when you're thinking about law school is that law school is hard. It's very difficult. It's very time consuming. I spend probably 80 hours a week on law school, whether it's studying for an exam or doing extracurricular activities like a podcast or networking events. I'm, I'm living, breathing and eating law school. And the reason that that's good for me is because I love it so much. I love what I'm learning. I love the professors. If I didn't love it, it would be a nightmare. So I think that really, it's really important to think about, do you want to spend a significant amount of your time studying, reading complicated cases, analyzing the law? If that's something that appeals to you, or if the end goal of becoming, an, becoming a lawyer is something you believe in passionately, then law school is the right place for you. If you're only going to law school because you want to make a lot of money, or you want the prestige of being able to say that you're an Esquire, then it's probably not going to be the best experience for you. But if you love the law, if you're fascinated by what you can do, if you want to be able to help people, then it's certainly a good place to be. Thank you, Grace. And now back to Dean Smith to close it off. Thanks very much, Ben. Uh, thanks for uh, a, a very interesting podcast. By the way, I will check with you of what you thought of Perry Mason. I thought it was a great program and probably one of the reasons I went to law school. In fact, uh, my undergraduate discipline was economics. And with an economics degree, you can do two things. You can go to graduate school or you can go to law school. And so I didn't really go to law school with a passion for it. And I envy people who do. Uh, but once I got started, once I saw what was going on and what the problems were that people were dealing with and the intellectual, the wonderful intellectual problems uh, that, that are important to solve because they involve people's lives, I was really hooked. So one of the things I would suggest uh, to anyone thinking of law school is, is contact a law school nearby and um, go spend a day at the school uh, talking to existing students, but most importantly, perhaps sitting in on a couple of classes because it's there where you get a real flavor of whether you're going to be intellectually hooked by what's going on or uh, not. Ben, thank you very much for uh, hosting today's program. Thanks also to Professors Bennett and Smythe for their contribution. We appreciate all of your advice and thoughts. We invite everyone to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or by visiting lawreview.podbean.com. If you have a topic you would like to suggest or comments, we welcome those uh, on the Podbean site. Until next time, this is Steve Smith, and the Law Review stands adjourned.